Thank you, Bronwyn and David, and good morning, everybody. My name's Tim Johnson. I'm the Senior Minister here at St John's. I've been uh, away the last two weeks. Last, um, last Sunday, I was up at the Catherine Christian Convention with over a 1,000 people, mainly Aboriginal people, uh, worshipping God and hearing from God's Word together. I've written a little about, a bit about that in the parish news. You can read about that. And then the previous Sunday, I was in Port Moresby uh, at a church in Baroka in uh, Port Moresby, uh, again, gathering with Christian people of, of different nations and worshipping uh, the one God together. So, but it's good to be back here uh, with my church family here at St John's. And we're continuing this series through James, looking at uh, James uh, chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to have that uh, open in front of you as we look at it together. Uh, I learnt to drive on a pretty worn-out Mazda 808. Uh, that's not the actual Mazda 808 that I drove uh, in, but uh, that's sort of a bit of an idea. That, that is a Mazda 808. Uh, my parents had had the car longer than they'd had me. Ideal for an L-plater, P-plater to learn on. Uh, it was a great car, but as time went on, it wasn't always reliable, I've got to say. And I remember one time I was driving across the city uh, to a kids' camp meeting from memory, sitting at the... Uh, front of the right-hand turn bay at a quite a busy intersection and the engine just cut out. Um, I was trying to restart it but it wasn't turning over. The horns were blaring behind me as I'm sure you've experienced. Uh, no matter what I did, it just wouldn't work. All that was happening was that the, the battery was running down. And in the end, all I can do is uh, get some help from a few people to push it around the corner uh, out of the way. Uh, to get under the bonnet and try and see what the problem was. Um, it was actually an old enough car and a simple enough engine that I had some idea um, what to look for under the bonnet and from memory I think it was a leaky radiator on this occasion of the many occasions that that car broke down. But if you're an observer, you're watching what's going on, what's clear to you as you're sitting there watching this take place is that the car simply isn't working. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not driving, which is what cars are supposed to do. Uh, it wasn't taking me to the destination I was supposed to get to. It wasn't getting me to the camp meeting I was supposed to be at. But the reason that the car wasn't working was under the bonnet. There was a problem with the engine preventing it from doing its work. In today's passage from James chapter 2, he's addressing a similar sort of problem. He's not talking about a car with a mechanical problem, which means that it doesn't work, but he's talking about uh, people who call themselves Christians who've got a faith problem which doesn't lead to work. There's something problematic under the bonnet. There's something problematic with the faith that they claim to have, which means that it's not resulting in action. It's not resulting in deeds. It's not working out in the way that they do things in their lives. Uh, his basic point is pretty clear and pretty simple and it's there in verse 14, the first verse that was read to us. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So is the person here claiming that they have faith in Jesus but it's not actually reflected in their actions? They have no deeds or, as we'll say later, uh, it isn't accompanied by action. Um, other translations talk about the fact that there are no works which flow from this so-called faith. It follows it up with a practical example, verses 15 to 16. 
Suppose a member of the church, a Christian brother or sister, has nothing. They've got no food, they've got no clothes, they're completely in need. Um, They go to members of the church for help and a well-meaning person says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well-fed. They send them off with good wishes, but they don't actually give them any clothes and food. They don't give them a sandwich. They don't give them a cup of coffee. They don't give them a jumper so that they're warm. And James rightly says, what, what good is that? <laughs> um, it doesn't actually do anything for the person. It doesn't actually help them. They're just as hungry, just as cold, just as helpless at the, as at the beginning. It's a ridiculous picture, but it's meant to be. James wants us to see that faith without works is useless. It's worse than useless, it's actually dead. In verse 17 he summarises the point again. Faith, by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Here's the picture. What's supposed to happen is that a person has faith or trust in Jesus and from this faith good works should naturally flow. Obedience to God, uh, love and care for other people, generosity to the poor, as is Paul's, uh, James's example here, and so on. But instead what we've got is someone who claims that they have faith, but it's without deeds. What good is that, James says? It's dead, it's useless, it's unable to save. He'll hit that basic point again and again. It's there in verse 20, and it's there in verse 26. Faith without deeds is dead. Really what's going on here is that James is pointing out uh, a defective view, if you like, of faith. Uh, It's not genuine faith, it's not real faith, it's not saving faith, it's kind of broken or defective. Uh, You see that as he he brings out this so-called sort of objection in verse 18. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Uh, This person is trying to separate faith and deeds. And they're kind of treating it a little bit like optional extras. You could say that, um, well, maybe this part of the church, they'll work on the faith bit, and this part of the church, you guys can do the deeds. We can just separate it, outsource, everyone have their own job to do. Maybe a little bit like spiritual gifts. You know, someone has a gift of encouragement, another one has the gift of hospitality, you know, and we can, we can all do our little bit, and maybe faith and works are like that. And James says, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't separate faith and deeds like that. It doesn't work. He says, you know, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. How can you know that a person has faith if it doesn't result in action? There's this necessary connection. The two have to go together. It can't be that they're separated off from each other. That's actually a defective view of faith to think about it that way. He goes on to sort of point out this defective view of faith by describing the faith of demons. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, As you read through uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, the story of Jesus' life, and you see that he interacts with uh, people who have evil spirits uh, living in them, the evil spirits believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus in the sense that they know exactly who Jesus is and they'll often say things like, we know who you are, the Holy One 
of God. They recognise that Jesus is special. They recognise that he's a set-apart person, a holy person sent from God and they even say that to him. But it's obvious, isn't it, that that is not faith in the sense of saving faith which brings them into a relationship with Jesus. They know things about Jesus. They know things about God. At one level they believe. They even shudder because they recognise his power. But they certainly don't have genuine faith that will save them. This discussion here by James helps us narrow in, I think, on what he's talking about. He's trying to distinguish between genuine faith, which results in good deeds, and what you might call defective or bogus faith, which does not. A sort of bogus faith which gives intellectual assent to God, but doesn't result in obedience to him. It's worth breaking this down a little bit and thinking in a bit more detail about what faith actually is. Because in church we often use the word faith, don't we? We speak about faith quite a lot. But we rarely stop to think about what it, what it means. And it's worth doing, I think, because there's often a lot of confusion about what faith is. Uh, who's been in a conversation with uh, a person outside the church, a non-Christian friend perhaps, who says to you, I wish I had your faith? Anyone had that conversation? I've had it quite a few times. You have a few hands. So it sort of sense that they admire the fact that you have Christian belief, that you have faith, and it's almost like they wish they could have it, but it's just not there. For, for people like this, I think, you know, faith is, is treated a little bit like a magical substance. You've either got it or you don't have it. Um, maybe like in the Harry Potter books, the difference between someone who's magical or a muggle, okay? You've either got faith or you're a faith muggle. Um, it's either there or it's not. Well, actually, faith is not like that. Nothing could be further from the truth. Faith is not a magical substance that some people have and some people don't. Every single person has faith. Uh, what differs is what people put their faith in, what the object of their faith is. You see, faith is, is simply trust. Um, it's what we rely on. It's what we give ourselves to. Um, Everyone relies and trusts in something. It might be their job. It might be their family. It might be the stars. It might be themselves in a lot of cases for Australian people, I think. It's not magical. Everyone has it. But not everyone puts their faith in the same thing. And not everyone puts their faith in the right thing. So the Bible tells us that what the object of our faith needs to be is Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need to trust in. Jesus is the one that we need to rely on. I think it's helpful to break down faith into three parts and to think about how they each relate to Jesus. Um, you can kind of break down faith into, into three components, I think. And the first of them is belief. Faith is about believing that certain things are true. This is what James has been saying when he's been speaking about demons. Demons have faith in this sense. They, they believe things about God. As James says, they believe that God is one, that there is one God. It's a kind of intellectual assent about the truth, you know, that certain things are true. Uh, and this is a definite component of faith. This is something which is part of faith. Uh, and if we think about what it means to have faith in Jesus, we believe that Jesus is 
someone who speaks the truth, that the things that Jesus says are true and can be believed. If we have faith in Jesus, then we say, yes, we believe that what Jesus claims about himself are right things. We believe them. They are true. So faith involves belief. But secondly, faith also involves trust. Um, I've been using that faith, uh, that word in relation to faith already. Faith goes beyond the intellect. It's more than just intellectual assent. It's more than just belief. It stretches into our emotions as well, recognising that certain things are trustworthy and can be relied on. Faith in Jesus means trusting that what he has done is actually effective to save us, that his death on the cross really does take away sin, that his resurrection from the dead does offer us the hope of eternal life. Um, Having trust in Jesus means that what Jesus has done for us works and can offer us salvation. So we need to believe that what Jesus says is true, but we also need to trust that what he has done can help us. But there's a third element that is crucial. Faith also involves an act of the will. It involves a decision. It's not enough simply to know that certain things are true and that they're trustworthy. We actually need to take a step of obedience. Think about it like this. Imagine uh, me falling, plummeting, plummeting from a plane with a, with a backpack on, okay, a parachute strapped to my back. What does faith look like in this situation? Well, it involves belief. Um, I might believe that, that the parachute really does exist, that this thing on my back is a parachute, that it's there, that it's real. I believe. It involves trust. Okay, I need to trust that that parachute's effective. That's going to slow, if I use it, it'll slow my descent. It's been manufactured correctly. It's been packed correctly. It is able to save me. I trust it. But that's not enough, is it? I also need to resolve to decide that I'm going to pull the ripcord if the parachute's going to help me. Faith involves an act of will to determine to be obedient, to give ourselves over to the object of faith. So again, coming back to faith in Jesus, it must also include a recognition of his authority as the Lord, as the King, and a decision, an act of will to determine to submit to him, to give ourselves to him in faith. Without all three elements, belief, trust and decision, we don't have genuine faith. We don't have faith which works. We don't have faith which saves. Some years back, I had a friend called John and I'd been praying for a long time uh, for, a, uh, for a chance to share the gospel with him. And uh, one day, out of the blue, he said to me, Tim, this, this Christianity thing, can you explain it to me? Um, definitely a God, God at work in his life. Uh, so I explained that you know, the Christian faith, strangely enough, is about Jesus. It's centred on Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Uh, I explained that, you know, Jesus was the Son of God and that he'd come to die and rise again. And I asked him, do you believe that that's true? And he said, yes, you know, I do believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died and rose again. 
And so I explained to him about why Jesus died, that he died to take away our sin. And I asked him whether he, 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 he trusted in that. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm very aware of my sin. I know Jesus can take away my sin. Um, yes, he trusted that. I thought, praise God, John's about to give his... I was so excited, he's going to give his life to Christ. And I asked him, you know, do you want to pray a prayer and give your life to Jesus now? And he said, No. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He trusted that Jesus could take away his sin, but he didn't want to give his life to Jesus. He wanted to be the boss of his own life. He wasn't prepared to make that decision to submit to Jesus as Lord. Can such faith, like John had, save? No. He believed, he trusted, but he wasn't able to make that decision. He didn't submit to Jesus as king and give himself to him. And that's precisely the point that James is making. Can such faith save? No, it can't. Faith without deeds is dead. It's useful. It's useless. It does not save. In terms of our three elements, you might say that this defective faith, which doesn't lead to works, contains belief, yes, maybe even trust, but not the act of will that leads to the good works for God. James wraps uh, wraps up his discussion with with two Old Testament examples to prove his point, Abraham and Rahab. Two very different people, a man and a woman. One, an Israelite, a member of God's chosen people. The other person, a complete outsider, outside of the promises of God, outside of the people of God. One, a respectable patriarch. The other one, a prostitute. And yet both of them demonstrate what true faith in God looks like. They believe and trust and give themselves over to God. Their faith leads to action and both of them take real risks because of their trust in God and their relationship with him. And James holds them both up as examples of this is what faith looks like. Faith has got to be put into action. Many people are troubled by verse 24, which appears there in the discussion of Abraham's faith. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Uh, Those words are considered uh, considered righteous, uh, are translated in other versions sometimes as justified. Um, Either way, whichever way you translate it, the idea is is about being right with God, being in right relationship with God, God declaring, you and I are okay. We're right with each other, you and me. Uh, Andrew spoke about this idea of justification uh, in the lead up to Easter as we were talking about the cross and what it achieves, that Jesus' death on the cross puts us right with God. You can listen to that um, uh, in the podcast for more information about it. So James is saying here that a person is considered all right with God, in right relationship with God, by what they do and not just by faith. This seems to contradict what other parts of the Bible say, that we're justified, put right with God, not by works, not by what we do, but by faith. So Paul in Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works 
of the law. Uh, What's more, in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul goes straight on to use Abraham as his example of why this is true in the same way that James has used Abraham as his example of his point. So which is it? Is Paul right that we're justified, put right with God by faith, not by works? Or is James right that we're justified by works and not by faith alone? See, on the surface, they seem at odds with each other. It seems like there's a contradiction there in the Bible. But in fact, if you think about what they're both saying, there's no contradiction at all, is there? Paul and James are in complete agreement, but they're focusing on different aspects of what's going on here. In fact, uh, James 2.22 in our passage talks about the interrelationship of faith and works. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Faith is the subject of both parts of the verse. It is faith, not works, that puts us right with God. As Paul says, we can't earn a relationship with God by what we do. But faith is not separated from works. Faith is active along with works. Faith is brought to completion by what we do. You see, true faith, faith that involves belief and trust and decision, necessarily must lead to good works. And faith that doesn't lead to good works is defective or faulty. It's dead, it's useless, it's unable to save. You could sum it up like this. We're justified by faith alone, but a faith that saves us is never alone. It always leads to good works. James is stressing for us the test of genuine faith, that it will result in deeds and that that's the sort of faith that will save us. As he says in verse 26, using a final image, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith and works are inextricably linked. They're like body and spirit. Or to use another image, uh, as Martin Luther famously said, it's impossible to separate works from faith just as it's impossible to separate heat and light from fire. A fire without heat and light Uh, is a pretty useless fire, isn't it? It's not really a fire at all. A body without spirit, breath, life is a corpse. It's dead. So too, faith, if it's genuine, necessarily results in good works which glorify God and which love those around us. So let's have a bit of a think about this and what it means for us as individuals. Um, I think we need to do a bit of self-diagnosis to think about how we need to respond today because there does tend to be two types of people uh, in our churches, I think, two types of people sort of sitting there in the pews. Some of us constantly doubt our standing with God. Some of us think we're not worthy of God. Um, We're very aware of our shortcomings. We're very aware of our failings. We think, you know, God would never want me. Why would God want to have anything to do with me? Is that you? Because the danger for you in a, in a sermon and a passage like today is that you might look at your deeds, you might look at your life and see all the failings and the shortcomings and conclude as you walk away from here, I need to do more things to please God. Add more works. That's what James is saying. I've got to work harder, I've got to try harder, I've got to love more, then God will accept me and say that I'm okay. Yeah? Is that you? 
If that's you, if that's the sort of thinking that you have going in your head at the moment, then you need to hear this, please. It's not the things that you do that earn a relationship with God. The things you do can't earn a relationship with God. You can't do enough to be good enough for God. But if you have your faith in Jesus, his good work puts you 100% right with God. James is not saying faith plus works will put you right with God and it's only once you've done enough that God will accept you. No, he's saying genuine faith includes deeds. They will flow out of that faith that you have in Jesus. You need to keep on believing. You need to keep on trusting. You, keep on, you need to keep on obeying Jesus in all that you do. And when you fail, and we all do, to just ask for his forgiveness, knowing that he freely offers that and that Jesus' death and resurrection are effective for forgiving your sins. But there are others amongst us who have the opposite problem. We know that it's faith which puts us right with God and we use that as an excuse for complacency. Oh, it doesn't matter if I sin, it doesn't matter if I don't help that person. I've got faith. If that's you then please pay careful attention to what James is saying. Faith which doesn't result in deeds is dead, it's useless. If the car is not moving, then you do need to look under the bonnet and ask a question about the engine. Do not presume on God, but examine your life and ask, is there fruit here? Am I growing in godliness? Am I aware of sin in my life and confessing it to God and asking him to change me? Is the fruit of the Spirit developing in me love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do I merely believe things about Jesus, give intellectual assent to the truth, but don't actually acknowledge his kingship over every aspect of my life? Two very different types of people and diagnoses going on there that we need to think about today. But I think regardless of which camp we sit in, the remedy for both of them is the same. The remedy for both of these things is not an excessive sort of navel-gazing, trying to examine our faith. We can tie ourselves in knots if we try and look within ourselves and look at our faith and sort of think, well, which element is there and which element is missing? Um because it's not faith itself which is the wonderful thing. Rather than trying to examine our own faith, we need to look outward to the object of our faith. It's not faith itself which is special and magical, but it's what or whom we put our faith in which is wonderful and special. Regardless of who we are today, we need to look to Jesus, the right object of our faith, and cast our eyes on him to think about his beauty and his character, to know him more fully and to respond to him more completely. As we've reflected today, can we ask ourselves these questions? Do I believe that what Jesus says is true? Do I believe that he is who he claims to be? Do I believe the truth of that? Do I trust that his work is effective for me, that his death, 
does take away my sin, that his rising from the dead offers me hope of eternal life, that death cannot separate me from God, but I'll have life with him forever. Do I trust that? And do I acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord? Do I acknowledge his kingship over every aspect of my life? Have I made a decision to submit myself to him, to give my life to him? Am I I constantly, day by day, submitting every aspect of my life to him as the Lord and King? My work, my study, my family, my money, whatever it might be submitting everything to him because he is the Lord of everything. That's what living faith looks like. That's what faith in action is about. Looking to Jesus, believing him, trusting in him, making a decision to obey him with everything that we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for what you have done. Help us to have living faith in you. Help us to give ourselves fully to you, believing you, trusting you, and obeying you. I pray for anyone here today who has not yet committed themselves to you, who might believe certain truths about you, but I pray that you would work in their hearts that they might give themselves over to you and submit themselves to your lordship. I pray for people here today who might doubt their worthiness, that uh, you would want to have anything to do with them. And I pray that you would remind them again that all they need to do is to throw themselves upon you, that you accept them, that you forgive them, that you love them, and that their faith would again be strengthened and renewed in you today. I pray for others of us who need a challenge today, who have become complacent, who have become indifferent to uh, those in need around us. Challenge us again today, Lord, about what faith in action looks like, that we might couple belief and trust with a life of obedience in every single aspect of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.